Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Carrie Gino continues our series in Hebrews, sharing from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. And now, here's Carrie. I'd like to uh, say hi to my daughter Caroline in New Brunswick, who's watching via Zoom this morning. Hi. And we'd like to welcome all the rest of the baby Zoomers to Bible Fellowship Assembly. Let's open with a short prayer. Father, we just thank you for your wonderful grace and your love. May our focus this morning be on Jesus. And may all glory and praise be given to you. Amen. Our author of Hebrews has included this passage for a very definite reason. And as the author looks into the future, the writer sees a high probability of persecution coming down heavily on the lives of his readers. And the author desires that they be ready and fit for the trauma. Part of being a disciple is admitting that we don't know everything. And the word disciple derives from the root meaning student. A disciple is a student. And students look to their teachers for direction and wisdom. So this morning we reflect on the fact that we look to God for strength and direction. And as disciples of Christ, we look to him as the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Christ's words and actions informs us as we plan the way before us. Day by day, his word promises to lighten our path. When Peter and James and John were on the mountain of transfiguration, they heard the voice from heaven say, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. So as disciples, we listen to our Lord. And in this day and age, many in the world are caught up in the promises that we have all the resources and equipment that we need. Who needs God when we have Alexa and Google? But as disciples, we look to Christ for direction through life. His words, his actions point us in the way God would choose for us. In our life of discipleship, we continually reflect on the words of our Lord and the wisdom from on high. But sadly, it's not always a direction that we would choose for ourselves. God's direction isn't always the most glittering and glamorous way. It points us to walk humbly with our God. It encourages us to bear our neighbor's burden as a good Samaritan. It may direct us to lighten the burden of our possessions. It might instruct us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. God's direction may seem dreary in comparison with other inviting, brightly lit pathways before us. But as disciples, we know that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The divine word is meant to challenge our thoughts. It instructs us to see with the eyes of Christ and to hear his call 
It enables us to see the stranger with new eyes. And it allows us to respond, respond out of hope instead of fear. Chapter 12, verse 1 of our reading this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Having considered the role of faith for endurance in chapter 11, the author now turns to highlight another benefit for enduring trials. Though painful at times, the Christian who sees this as being from God and submits to it will grow in holiness. The author likens the Christian life to an endurance race. A great cloud of witnesses watch us as though we are running before them in a stadium. These are the Old Testament heroes of chapter 11, whose victorious lives inspire us on. The author encourages us to throw off everything that hinders. And for Christians, this could be too many wasteful interests, too many things that take up all of our energy. And as inspiring as these heroes are, the author carefully points to the readers, the readers to the supreme example of persevering faith, Jesus Christ. Our eyes must stay fixed on him. Christ is the perfect example of enduring faith. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight to 14 tells us God has not only supplied enough for our needs, but also for the needs of others. So if he places in our hands resources meant for others, and if we use them for ourselves, then we have to ask ourselves, is this what Jesus teaches us to do? Paul describes his efforts to bring others to their full maturity as the agonizing of an athlete. But he said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, I do it with all the might that he mightily inspires within me. In order to have willpower and discipline, we need Christ's power. Jesus himself said, without me, you can do nothing. The power of Christ who indwells believers is alone sufficient. And this is why the author of Hebrews immediately adds in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And for the Christian disciple, there is only one way to run this race successfully. And that is to look at Jesus, whom the writer of Hebrews describes first as author, and then perfecter or finisher of our faith. Another writer says that we could take a lesson from a postage stamp. Even though postage stamps are getting more expensive, at least they have one attribute that most of us could imitate. They stick to one thing until they get there. And Jesus is meant to be followed. He has set the course, and we are to follow hard after him. The race of the Christian life is not an easy one to run. 
because of the trials. Sometimes we find ourselves being tried and tested to our very limits. Things happen to us unexpectedly through no fault of our own. For example, accidents, damage, loss of possessions, sicknesses. How should we respond to trials like these? Well, we consider the trials that Jesus endured. Verse 3 and 4. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. By doing this, we soon realize that the trials we suffer are quite small and in fact nothing compared to what the Lord Jesus suffered. Our Lord was falsely accused, mocked, insulted, scourged with whips, punched, slapped, nailed, and pierced. So how did he respond to all of that? He endured it all patiently and continued to trust in God. Since none of us have ever had to endure or ever will have to endure so much tremendous pain and suffering as Jesus did, we should endure our own trials patiently. In the next few verses, we can find another useful step for coping with the trials of life. The writer of Hebrew addresses that we should accept discipline from God's loving hand. Verses 6 and 7. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? We should not make the mistake of thinking that these trials we face mean that God, means that God is not happy with us and that he doesn't love us. On the contrary, it's precisely because God loves us that he disciplines us. The word discipline means training or teaching or preparation for life. Now, when God disciplines us, he has a definite and a good purpose for it. The trials we go through are not designed to destroy us, but to build us up and make us better than we were before. God's motivation for this discipline is his love, his love for his people and his love for his kingdom. God's love for his children includes not only forgiveness, but also his efforts to free us from sin's bondage. Every believer is a child of God. God longs for a full relationship with that child as any good earthly father longs for a full and loving relationship with his child. For a child to fail or fall is agony for our father. Out of his love, he wishes to ward off such tragedy. Verses 10 to 11 our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. And no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness 
and peace for those who have been trained by it. God's discipline is for our ultimate good. And the result of his training is holiness and a likeness to God. And as such, we produce righteousness in our own lives. And both of these characteristics are characteristics of the new person that each of us should put on. As Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 says, Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And now that we know that our trials are from God who loves us and who uses them to purify and shape us to be conformed to God's own righteousness and holy image, we should be able to respond to trials in a more constructive manner. Mary Sutherland from Girlfriends in God, which my wife gave me, by the way, she writes this, The story is told of a group of women who met each week to study the Bible, hoping to learn more about the nature and character of God and how he works in our lives. The women were puzzled and even a little troubled by the description of God they found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, which says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. One of the women offered to do a little research on the subject and report back to the group at their next meeting. The woman found a local silversmith and made an appointment to observe him at work, explaining that she was particularly interested in the process of refining silver. She watched as the craftsman carefully selected a piece of silver for his demonstration. She thought the piece of silver was already beautiful, but evidently, the silversmith saw something that she could not see. As he held the silver over the, over the furnace, the craftsman explained that in refining silver, the silver had to be placed in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest. So all the impurities would be burned away. The woman was silent for a moment. As her thoughts drifted to the fiery trials She was facing in her own life. Honestly, she did not get it. Why would a loving God allow his children to suffer when he could so easily deliver them? In fact, why does God even allow bad things to happen to people who are seeking him and are really trying to live for him? The woman asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit in front of the fire the whole time that the silver was being refined. Oh yes, he replied, I cannot take my eyes off the silver. If I left it in the furnace even a moment too long, it will be destroyed. The woman suddenly understood the beauty and comfort of Malachi chapter 3, verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Yes, there are times when it seems as if we, have, we will be swallowed whole by the fires of hell itself. And the pain seems too hard to bear. The fear is paralyzing. The doubt is overwhelming and questions flood our hearts and minds. Is God really who he says he is? Will he really do what he says he will do? Will he really keep his promises? 
Can I really trust God? Our trials are not random persecutions. Heaven is not in a panic. Where we are and what we are going through is no surprise to God. We may be knocked down and kicked around by life, but if we have a personal relationship with Jesus, with Jesus Christ, we will not be destroyed. Our lives are filled with excess baggage and waste, a cherished sin that we refuse to relinquish, or an addiction to which we are enslaved. What about the emotional garbage that weighs us down for our, or our unforgiving spirit that holds us prisoner? Fiery trials come to burn away the guilt of sin and then to purify our heart. From those ashes of freedom, the Father then creates a work of beauty. How do you know when the silver is fully refined? The woman asked. The silversmith smiled and he answered, Oh, that's easy. The refining process is complete when I can see my image reflected in the silver. Only God can exchange the ashes of our sin for the beauty of his forgiveness and grace. God alone can replace our despair with his peace that passes all understanding. Hope can only be found in him. Our purpose in life is to know and become more like Jesus and act just like our Father. Verses 12 to 13. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul said that when he was fatigued and agonizing under the labor, he could, do, he could do the task in the strength that God Almighty inspired him to do. Few of us Christians have known the difficulties and the fatigues that Paul experienced in his ministries. He would cry out, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And whether adrift at the sea, on a bit of wreckage, or stoned and left for dead, When he despaired of life itself, he discovered a well of strength that was sufficient for his needs. Instead of staggering through life, weaving under the load, his feet found a straight path. Limbs sore and bruised, he didn't didn't stop at the side of the road as a cripple, but was healed as he went on his way. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All life has in it necessary pain that can be used for strengthening. If we will only submit to the struggle, and leap into the arena and fight the beasts. We may even discover that they weren't as powerful as we thought they were. Our joy is in having the victory behind 
and then confidently marching into the future, knowing that we are stronger and more ready for the next encounter. And we do this by relying on the grace of God to see us through. Instead of living in reaction to our problems and trials of life, we live in reaction to Jesus and what he has done. We should try and see Christ revealed in our circumstances. We may experience fear and trembling because faith often runs contrary to what our natural senses are telling us. Charles Spurgeon writes this, It is always the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self towards Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. He insinuates our sins are too great for pardon. We have no faith. We don't repent enough. We will never be able to continue to the end. We have not the joy of his children. We have such a wavering hold on Jesus. All these are thoughts about self, and we shall never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self. He tells us that we are nothing, but that Christ is all in all. So let us strive to remember it is not our hold of Christ that saves us, it is Christ. It is not our joy in Christ that saves us, it is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, though that be the instrument, it is Christ's blood and merit. So let us not look so much to our hand with which we are grasping Christ as to Christ. Let us not to our hope, but to Jesus, the source of our hope. Look not to our faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to our souls. If we want to overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. Keep our eyes simply on him. Let his death, his suffering, his merits, his glory, his intercessions be fresh upon our mind. When we, <coughs> excuse me, when we wake in the morning, look to him. When we lie down at night, look to him. Don't let our hopes or fears come between us and Jesus. Follow hard after him, and he will never fail us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. There are two big questions about endurance. The first question, is salvation conditional on our endurance? Here's the bad news. If our salvation depends on us, then we're not saved by grace, but by our enduring performance. But the good news declares that Jesus is both the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus does good work, and he never leaves the job unfinished. We can trust him to complete the good work that he has started in us. 
And the second question, does enduring merely prove that we were saved all along? If this is true, then we won't know until the end whether we have endured or not. And if this is true, how can we have any assurance that we are saved today? We can't. Instead of standing secure on the promises of God, we will be unstable and be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. Our uncertainty will cause us to be fearful of sin and intolerant of other people's mistakes. The scriptures on endurance are not here to instill fear and uncertainty in us, but to inspire us to trust in the one who said this. John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Perhaps what Jesus is saying is life is one big endurance race, but take heart. I have already won it. This is good news for those of us in Christ. If we look again at Jesus' words, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, then the Christian race is a marathon. But for those of us in Christ, the race begins at the finish line. It begins on the winner's podium. For when we were placed into Christ, we were placed into the race a winner. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. First John chapter 4 verse 4 says this, You dear children are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And overcoming is not about impressing God with our overcoming experience. It's about depending on the overcomer who lives in us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If we're born of God, if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then the overcomer lives in us. His overcoming nature is our new nature. It's who we truly are. Jesus is such a wonderful encourager. He knows that the only way that we can get through life's trials is if we keep our eyes firmly on him. It's not our determination, our persistence, or anything to do with our flesh that helps us overcome the world. It's trusting in Jesus. It's facing our trials with the one, with our eyes fixed on the one who calms the storms. It's looking beyond the giants and seeing the king who towers above all. It's believing on Jesus who is greater than the world. So whatever our trials are, whether it be this pandemic, or personal trials, let us strive to focus on Jesus. 
And may the words of this song be our anthem. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Let go, my soul, and trust in him. And it is well, it is well with my soul. May it be well with your souls this morning, and may God bless you. Let's uh, just dis, uh, be dismissed in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time that we've spent together. Thank you for the message of encouragement that we've heard to keep our eyes on Jesus, to recognize him in his refining work in our lives, to uh, become more like him is the, his goal and make it ours as well, we pray. We pray that uh, you would bless this week and help us through the days ahead and whatever trials that we are living in, and may we see them as, as your hand in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.